Planet Football Podcast is brought to you by FanDuel, the leader in one-week fantasy football, with more winners and more payouts than any other site. Enter promo code PLANET at FANDUEL.com to play a risk-free tournament at up to $10. We're also sponsored by the SeatGeek app, the easiest way to find a great deal, pay for your ticket, and get to your seat. Download the SeatGeek app and enter our code PLANET for $20 off your first purchase. This is embarrassing, but every year I need one can of like the jellied canned cranberry sauce <laughs> and I want it on a plate, like jiggling, at, like so you can see the ridges of the can. I didn't do turkey. I actually did Thanksgiving lobsters Ooh. and they were very good if a little messy. Okay. Well, messy. Hmm. I'm thankful that we get to watch Lionel Messi. Welcome to SI's Planet Football Podcast, where each week we discuss the latest in the world of soccer. I am SI.com soccer editor Avi Creditor, joined today by SI senior writer Grant Wall and SI.com's Brian Strauss. Gentlemen, it's it's Thanksgiving week. Happy holidays. Happy holidays, man. Brian, how uh, happy happy holidays to you. Uh, same to you, Avi. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, later on, we are going to... Go on with that Thanksgiving theme and, and talk about some things that we're thankful for in the world of soccer. We also have a really interesting interview, uh, Grant, that you were able to do while you were in Trinidad with Lasana Laberd, a uh, Trinidadian journalist about post-Jack Warner Trinidad. Um, so definitely stick around for that. But first, I want to start with MLS playoffs. We are uh, heading into the second leg of the conference finals. Uh, some some interesting results in the first leg. The, uh, the home teams, Columbus Crew taking a 2-0 win over the New York Red Bulls and the Portland Timbers, a 3-1 win over FC Dallas. Grant, let's start with you. Uh, some some interesting things in, in the first legs. You got a, a record-setting goal, you got a, a beautiful goal, and you also got a vital late goal in Portland. Yeah, I mean, just a lot of uh, very memorable stuff we've seen in these MLS playoffs in these first legs had a bit more action than maybe I was even expecting uh, from our first leg. But the home team's coming away with pretty significant advantages. Uh, Portland got the third goal late in the game to go up 3-1 on Dallas. And Dallas does have an away goal, which helps a little bit. But that's still going to be a big challenge for the West top seed. Uh, and then the New York Red Bulls given up a goal nine seconds into the game uh, to Justin Miram, who I think had flown 10 bazillion miles in the previous week not to play for Iraq. Uh, pretty cool story there. Uh, and somewhat surprising to to me, at least, that uh, New York would put themselves in this position because the second goal, another late goal with making a very big difference uh, for Columbus uh, and Columbus to get the clean sheet and not allow an away goal really puts New York in a tough spot. So once again, we see the the top seeds probably asking some questions about what sort of advantage they really get in the MLS playoff structure. Uh, Brian, the the Red Bulls look they're they're as well coached of a team as there is in the league. But any team, you give up a goal in nine seconds, that's going to put you on your heels. That's going to shake you up. And and to their credit, they bounced back. They had some chances, and they really could have gotten out of Columbus with a more favorable result. Uh, but when you start a playoff series like that, I mean, man, nine seconds in that that changes everything. Well, yeah, I mean, and part of it's a product, like Grant said, of the format. I mean, there's, there's, you know, MLS still can't figure out a way. I mean, they tell us the regular season matters. They swear it matters. Uh, but they still can't figure out a way uh, for it to actually matter in the playoffs. And so, you know, obviously the Red Bulls giving up a goal nine seconds in is historic. I mean, it's the fastest goal in playoff history. But it's also a product of a team coming into, I mean, that was a wonderful environment in Columbus. I mean, you know, I don't know how many times we've seen something like that in that city. And that was legit. And, uh, you know, and, and, and the Red Bulls are punished. Uh, for finishing first by starting to ha- start the series in that environment. So the format still needs to be fixed, and MLS's stubborn refusal uh, to, to create a format that gives the higher-seeded team a real advantage uh, continues to vex me, um, and I lose sleep over it. That aside, <laughs> um, the Red Bulls are a well-coached team. So are the Columbus crew. What a, what a, what a game plan, what an approach for Greg Berhalter uh, and his guys. I mean, telling us all week uh, that they're going to, you know, continue to try to build, continue to try to possess, continue to try to break uh, New York's press. And then what do they do? They press New York and Will Trapp hits a long ball over the top, 90 seconds, I mean, sorry, nine seconds in. 
you know, this was no patient buildup. This was going straight at a makeshift center back pairing for the Red Bulls, you know, ignoring uh, the, the, the beautiful football that Columbus wants to play and going straight for the jugular right from the opening kickoff. And it did set New York on their heels, as did their press. I mean, you, you know, Felipe and McCarty and, and Kleschen were not able to find any rhythm whatsoever. Pa- passes were bouncing everywhere. New York got a taste of its own medicine, and they didn't like it. And it was just a wonderful, wonderful job by Columbus. And then to get that late goal uh, from Kamara on that insane run by, by Mabwati through the, through, the, through the penalty area. New York's really, really got its work cut out for them uh, at Red Bull Arena. And and look, this is the weight of history is going to going to be brought to bear here. I mean, you know, everyone is, uh, you know, Ollie Curtis and Jesse Marsh and and the new attitude and the new regime and the new chemistry. This has been wonderful. The Red Bulls are are more likable than they've ever been. They've got a bright future. But you're gonna, you know, we're gonna hear over the next few days, uh, you know, you know, whispers of Metro playoff failure and whispers of the history of this team failing to get it done at home in the playoffs. So we're going to start to see some of the weight of that history be brought to bear on Sunday. And it's going to be fascinating to see how the Red Bulls come out oh, dealing with that burden and also dealing with a Columbus team that's going to be on the front foot and is very confident. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, this was the first time that the Red Bulls have been shut out since May 24th, I think, right? I mean, they they find a way to score goals typically, and and they just they just didn't have it. I mean, Steve Clark. But they only scored, but they only scored two against DC United in a, in, in, in. Yeah in whatever 90 times two minutes is. No, that's true. And, but, but and, being um, shut out, being shut out on the road though, that, I mean, that's a huge component of, of, of these playoffs, right? You don't get an away goal. Then, then going back home is becomes, especially with the deficit becomes uh much more, much more difficult. I mean, they, they need to, to basically play their best game. Um, and if Columbus is, is anything like they were, uh, in the first leg, um, MLS cups can be, you know, either in Columbus or Dallas. Yeah, the interesting thing about this is that it, it's not in Columbus's DNA uh, to sort of absorb pressure, right? They, they want the ball, um, you know, and, and even though they, they, they pressed a lot more and were a bit more direct against New York in the first leg, you know, th- this is a leg where we're going to see Burhalter's emphasis on possession really sort of come into play. You know, they're going to bring Ethan Finley and Justin Merriman, you know, spread the field, you know, attack New York's fullbacks. I mean, sort of play those diagonal balls. You know, they're, they're going to they're gonna play Columbus crew soccer and, 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 and try to keep, uh, try to keep the ball and try to keep the Red Bulls out of a rhythm. So it's going to be really, really interesting, uh, to, to, to watch the crew try to balance, uh, their desire for possession and their, and, and the pragmatism that comes with, with, with a two goal lead. Um, but again, you know, the, the, the New York's going to have to come out, New York's going to have to establish more of a rhythm in midfield. Mike Grella and Lloyd Sam, who, who really didn't have good games a week ago, are going to have to be better. Bradley Wright Phillips, we saw a difference. I mean, we, we saw, uh, Bradley Wright Phillips have trouble finding the game. We saw Kai Kamara finding ways to get involved, right? I mean, his, his, his holdup play was outstanding. He was coming back and, and, and helping defend. Um, so, so, you know, in terms of, uh, the Red Bulls getting their key guys involved, that's going to be more important. And like I said, they're going to have to, they're going to have to deal with the pressure and the weight of history and the expectation and a sold out crowd, you know, desperate for this team to make the final. Um, and this is a wonderful test for, for Jesse Marsh and his team a year into this regime. Um, you know, I, I think they've already exceeded expectations. I think they've already gone further uh, than, than anyone thought they would. Uh, but they've whet the appetite and, and, and they won the supporter shield. And, and this is a team. The expectations have changed for this group. And, and I'm really intrigued to see how things play out. Grant, let's go to the Western Conference. Uh, Portland Timbers, riveting 3-1 win uh, over FC Dallas. Like we talked about, uh, do you see a way back for Dallas in this? I do. It's going to be difficult, but they did get the one away goal, which I think will help uh, back in Dallas. But I think there's something similar uh, in both of these first legs of the finals where a late goal by the home team really changed how we look at the return leg. Because if if Portland had gone back at 2-1 instead of 3-1, you would have felt much better about Dallas's chances. But 3-1 is a much different situation. And right now, the way uh, Portland is playing on the road. They've been a better team on the road over the last couple of months, and they've been at home. True, Dallas has also been a terrific home team. So uh, I'm excited about this uh, return leg. And you look at Diego Valeri is going to be back. Rod Wallace is going to be back after yellow card suspensions. Uh, and, you know, big questions about whether Liam Ridgewell will be healthy enough to play 
for Portland on the back line. He was terrific, scored a goal, uh, and uh, there was a huge drop-off when Ridgewell went off in this game and Paparato came on. Paparato's terrible. He's a <laughs> terrible player. And instantly, almost instantly, Dallas got their goal off of Paparato. Uh, defensive mistake. So uh, that's the, one of the big questions for me heading into the return leg. But I think both of these conference finals are set up for really entertaining uh, desperation soccer uh, from the home team. So uh, I think it should be a really fun day on set on Sunday. What did Paparato ever do to you and your family? <laughs> He's terrible. <laughs> um, I mean, look, you, you look at a team that that can score goals and Dallas is obviously up there. They've got the the attacking talent. Um, but I, you know, we, we sat here and talked to Caleb Porter last week. Um, and I, I think that one of the biggest things about Portland is that they're, they're mature enough, not now, not to, to get sucked into to Dallas's game. I think they can, you know, have the poise and confidence on the road. Like we've seen, um, you know, look, they took it to Vancouver and in, in the road leg in the last round. I don't know that it's going to be that easy this time around. Uh, the way Dallas can play um, and does play at home. Vancouver, actually not the, the best home team uh, in MLS, not even close. Um, but like you said, you know, these these deficits are close enough that the home teams, you know, they'll have these these boisterous crowds behind them. There's plenty to play for. Um, I personally don't know if there's a way back for, for either side. I think we're looking at, at Portland at Columbus on December 6th. Um, but look, I mean... Plenty, plenty to play for, and and let's let's talk about that that Dyron Aspria goal, by the way, um, because first off, he's he stopped playing. He wanted a foul called. Um, the referee plays the advantage, then the ball pops out to him, and he just unleashes this bending blast. That I'm trying to think, I mean, goal of the playoffs? I don't know. Agudelo's is is up there, but that that was amazing, Grant. I would say Agudelo won just because it was a ridiculous scissor kick that I don't know if we even saw during the regular season. Um, but just fantastic goal from distance by Espria. No relation to Faustino, unfortunately. Uh, but, you know, sort of a surprise starter to an extent, only in the sense we knew Rod Wallace wasn't going to play. We knew Valeria wasn't going to play. But Espria hasn't had a big impact on Portland this season. And so uh, that's one thing I love about the playoffs is you have guys – step up and, and people you might not expect to provide a, a ridiculous goal like that come up big. I think back to Pando Ramirez scoring the winning goal in the 2005 MLS Cup final for LA. And, uh, you know, Espria just, just smashed it. And I don't know if, you know, he even kind of knew what he was doing there, but the way that ball knuckled, uh, you know, Jesse Gonzalez had no chance. Yeah, none, none at all. Um, and that's, that's the mark of a great goal. Um, Brian, let's uh, let's close with you. Do you see your way back uh, for Dallas in this? Um, you know, it's funny because the the Espria goal was so astonishing, and and I I've watched it, kind of embarrassing. I've, I've actually watched it like five times already today. <laughs> um, I just love. I always used to like my favorite thing when I would when I would shoot just practicing was you know hitting hitting a ball that didn't spin you know so it would knuckle and stuff like that. And then when you hit a ball like that, it was so satisfying and course, you know, doing it in front of 20,000 people in a playoff game. I mean, it just, yeah, it's, it's, it warms my heart. Um, but the, the thing that that goal eclipsed was, uh, how sort of rough and tumble Portland's other two goals were. Um, and they both came on, on scrambles f- following, uh, corner kicks, um, you know, and Dallas's, uh, set piece defending and their sort of rugged ability to, 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 to win those battles. Uh, whether it's the goalkeeper or the central defenders or the team as a whole, wasn't good enough. And that's why they're down in this series, not because of Espria's one in a hundred shots. So, you know, if, uh, if if there's a way back for Dallas, uh, they're going to have to be mistake-free and back. And, you know, we, we laud the way that, that uh, you know, Castillo and that team attack with speed and how dynamic and fun they are to watch. Uh, but winning playoff games is, is is about more than that. It's about sort of the 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 the, the joyless, difficult grind uh, that, that, that often comes with things like defending corner kicks. And that's where Dallas was lacking. And that's where they're going to have to be perfect on Sunday to advance. Be remiss if we didn't, uh, give our, our thoughts and best to, to Oscar Perea's family. He lost his mother, uh, in the week leading up to, um, to the first leg, uh, flew back down to Columbia and then came back and coached the game, obviously, uh, a, an impossible situation for him. And I think you saw him and, and Caleb Porter share an embrace uh after the game which which was nice to see um so obviously we we hope for the best for 
for his family. And, uh, and yeah, look, I think we're in for some very entertaining second legs. Look, these MLS playoffs say what you want about the format and the regular season and what it means. And we have, but they've been entertaining as hell. Um, and, and ultimately that's, that's fun. Uh, we are going to take a quick break and come back with Grant Wall's interview with Lasana Liberty. Let's face it, you're obsessed with sport. Now, all those hours you spend watching games can finally pay off with FanDuel. And we have a new offer for you. When you use our code PLANET at FANDUEL.com, you can enter your first tournament with no risk. That's any contest on FanDuel for up to $10. If you win, you keep the money. If you lose, FanDuel will refund your account guaranteed. FanDuel is the best place to play one-week fantasy football. Building a team is easy and fun. Just pick your players and stay under the salary cap. Entry fees start at just $1, so there's a league for everyone. They also offer games for the NBA and NHL, so you can play fantasy sports for real cash any night of the week. FanDuel is not just for large tournaments. You can set up a private league and play against your friends anytime, anywhere. Think you know fantasy football? Come and prove it over at FanDuel.com. Over 2 million players have already won money on FanDuel, and now it's your turn. To get started, go to FanDuel.com and click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner and use our code PLANET to sign up now. And here's a great new offer for our listeners. If you enter a league and you don't win, FanDuel will refund your money. That's any contest you want, up to 10 bucks. You can sign up on FanDuel.com using our code PLANET, then make a deposit and choose your league. If you don't win, you'll get that money right back in your FanDuel account. The only way to get this no-lose offer is to go to FanDuel.com, click the microphone, and use our code PLANET. FanDuel.com, where it can finally pay to be a fan. That's F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Try it out today. Okay, welcome back. Uh, while Grant Walt was in Trinidad and Tobago covering the U.S. Men's National Team's World Cup qualifier uh, against the Soka Warriors, uh, he had a chance to sit down with uh, an experienced investigative journalist, sports journalist, Lasana LaBird, uh, to talk about post-Jack Warner Trinidad. We haven't heard a lot about Jack Warner since he has been uh, not on... Uh, John Oliver's show anytime recently. Um, but this this is important development uh, in, in the soccer world, in the FIFA world, and, and obviously in, in our region. Uh, so without further ado, Grant Wall and Lasana LeBert. We're here uh, for the SI Soccer Podcast today with Lasana LeBert, who is uh, known around the world as the Trinidadian journalist who took on Jack Warner and was unafraid to report things during Jack Warner's reign of power when he was the third most powerful person in world soccer uh, here in Trinidad. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, glad to be here, and uh, I guess I could live with that title. <laughs> <laughs> Lasana is the head of and founder of Wired868, uh, which is a website uh, doing a lot of sports reporting here in Trinidad. Uh, I follow him on Twitter. You should, too. He's at Lasana Liburd, L-A-S-A-N-A-L-I-B-U-R-D. Uh, and I wanted to talk today, it's the day of the USA-Trinidad game, and by the time this comes out, that game will be over. So I want to talk not so much about that as just the landscape on the ground here in Trinidad post-Jack Warner. Mm-hmm. Obviously a big day in May when uh, the indictment came out from the U.S. government and the arrests were made yes. uh, in Switzerland. Jack Warner, one of those indicted, but he has not been extradited yet. Uh, is Jack Warner still here on Trinidad? He is, and uh, he'll be here for a while, unfortunately. Um, they would probably appeal against everything from uh, the ink used on stationery to you know, the, the times given for, for court dates, anything possible. Um, he has an army of attorneys, it, ironically, uh, fighting with the same um, you know, questionable funding that he's received over the years. And he's going to use that, that uh, dodgy money, essentially, to, to keep him here for a long time, you know, fighting the case. Do you think he will ever be extradited to the United States? I do. I do think that he will uh, lose eventually. You know, it's just a matter of time wasting. Um, I suppose in his mind, he might be hoping that, uh, you know, um, maybe uh, people may lose appetite for the case. And uh, it's already cost taxpayers quite a bit, to be honest. Um, so, so we'll see maybe over a year, two years, you know, what, what, what the appetite would be for the whole thing here. But, uh, I think that otherwise, you know, he would lose. 
Now, you got uh, attention from people like Andrew Jennings and a lot of other journalists, too. Andrew Jennings is known the, the world over as the guy who has worked hardest to show corruption in FIFA, uh, at least in Europe. Yes. Uh, and you're the guy in the Caribbean. Uh, yes. what, what, did, what have you done over the years in your reporting about Jack Warner? Uh, well, I started as a journalist, uh, let's see, probably about 1995. And um, how I stumbled in, I, I never intended to, to write on the uh, backroom stuff, so to speak. You know, I'm a football writer, and that's what I like doing. Um, but it's, it's difficult to, it's impossible to ignore the influence that Jack Warner has on Trinidad football, and of course, at the time, Caribbean and CONCACAF. You know, as I would say, it's, it, it would be like a, a Catholic reporter not mentioning the Pope, you know? <laughs> It's yeah. just something that you have to do if you care about your job and you understand the influence that he has in, in, in you know, team matters and everything else, you know, around the, 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 the squad. I mean, over the years, um, he has tried different uh, ways. I, he has sent people to offer me jobs, um, put pressure on the company I was working for, try to, stuff like that, you know, which, which um, you know, obviously it never worked. And, and yeah, thankfully, I was never... Um, compromise in the slightest, which is the only reason why I've been able to keep going this long. You know? Did you ever feel threatened about your reporting? Um, not really. Uh, Trinidad isn't, I mean, yes, there is crime, crime is business, but um, not generally an aggressive people, you know, whatever interaction you may have had with, with people here. Um, I remember after the simple ticket story I did in late 2005, and I did get some warnings, you know, including people within Warner's camp that uh, I should be a bit careful when I'm out. But for the most part of all the years, no, not, not physical threats. What was that Simpal ticket story? Was that about to do with selling tickets from the World Cup? Yes, Trinidad just qualified for the World Cup and uh, Jack Warner uh, took the entire ticket allocation for the country and diverted it into his own family company. And then uh, offered it at extortionate prices for Trinidad fans. I believe it would be something like 40,000 TT for three World Cup tickets and some trinkets, wow. essentially, and a, a hotel room. So it was, uh, I did it match at the time, probably over 10 times the markup or something. Like that, you know, it was ridiculous. And, and I essentially exposed the fact that the company that was selling it was owned by Warner and, and different things around that fact. And actually FIFA, um, based on, on, on the story, um, the ethics committee uh, brought up Warner and he was actually the first ex-co member ever to be found guilty of uh, breaching the, the, the FIFA ethics rule based on that story at the time. So how do you feel now that, you know, Jack Warner was was pushed out of FIFA a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, the indictment took his situation to a new level. Yes. How do you feel about all this? Um, it, it's good to see justice done on that level. I mean, I, I don't think it makes a huge amount of difference in FIFA, you know, as we see the stuff that's still going on. And uh, I find it a bit sickening that uh, he's still able to use ill-gotten gains to... Uh, keep himself here and to avoid justice and also the Trinidad football is still struggling because uh, millions upon millions were uh, raided out of our coffers you know for decades and uh, our FA has been uh, essentially bankrupt for probably as much as five years you know so the taxpayers are footing whatever the team does you know so it, it uh, still very disappointed you know pretty hurt about that but mm. I hope justice is done in the end. So there was uh, a big story about the 2006 team that got to the World Cup for the first time in this country, and the mm -hmm. players um, had been promised a lot of money yes. by Jack Warner. They got that, right, eventually through the court system? They didn't really. They got really? a settlement. Okay. You know, to this day, no one knows what they were actually owed. Okay. Right? I mean, I, I suppose we may say the, the offer... To be honest, was ridiculous. I think in the end, it, uh, I believe it was half mm -hmm. in the end, mm -hmm. which I mean, no, no FNA world would offer the players half of all income received. You know, around. the 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 whole thing is that Warner never intended to pay it. Obviously, you know, so he told the players whatever you know he felt at the time. 
you know, type thing. And I never thought that they would hold it, hold him to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was quite a bit of luck and, and grit, you know, that got the players to the finish line because that case could have been over within a, within a year or two. But up to now, no one knows exactly how much money was banked for, for that uh, campaign. Okay. And in fact, if I could add, mm-hmm. uh, we, we're seeing the bit about Beckenbauer and, and Germany and the, the slush fund. And uh, there's a very interesting Adidas contract deal that was done with the TTFA at the time. Um, the TTFA first announced it at 11.5 million US. Uh, when the time came to pay the players their cut, they said it was actually just over 1 million TT. Which is less than that. Which is much less than that. <laughs> and uh, when I tried to get word from Adidas themselves, they said that both figures were actually quite low and, and nowhere close to the value. Hmm. But when, I, when you hear about Adidas and the Germany, uh, the DFB and so on, you know, trying to woo these uh, FIFA executive members, I mean, they're definitely questions to answer in some of these contracts, I think. Well, we've seen examples now of that German situation uh, where the head of the German Federation just resigned yes. uh, over this slush fund that mm. was reported uh, by Der Spiegel. Uh, and that was more than $6 million in that one uh, in connection with votes for the World Cup yes. with Jack Warner in Trinidad. Uh, the South Africa 2010 vote, uh, the U.S. government indictment uh, alleges that the South African government paid a $10 million bribe, uh, mostly to Jack Warner. Yeah. In Trinidad, uh, or of Trinidad, for that, uh, for that vote, um, uh, it it seems like you know even England uh, came here to play a friendly yes. and uh, in bidding for the 2018 World Cup really tried to do everything possible. I, I, I think guess they we, also stepped outside the boundaries of the bidding rules as well. Yes, yes. Uh, yes. to try and get the vote of like of Jack Warner. I, in some ways, Trinidad for quite a while because of Jack Warner was. A, an epicenter of world soccer. I suppose, you know, and you could say the Caribbean still is uh, influential in that sense, you know, because it, it's uh, 25 or 35 associations in, in CONCACAF, you know. Um, the, the problem is the Caribbean isn't developing as an industry and it isn't only the fault of the, the Caribbean. You know, the relationship between the Caribbean and FIFA is all wrong. And, and in some ways, I think they like having the Caribbean here simply as a place to get votes from and to, to give a uh, small change to, you know, and, and, and essentially ignore us after, after that. I'll give us an example, for instance, uh, uh, right after the, the simple ticket story, I was uh, I met Franz Beckenbauer at, a, at an event here in early 2006. Mm-hmm. So I spent the whole night waiting for a chance when he was a little bit away from Warner. Mm-hmm. So I went to him and I told him, of course, he's the head of Germany LOC what our problem was with the World Cup tickets. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't, for, I wouldn't forget what he said to me. He said, that's your problem. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> you know, And it, it shows really the relationship between the, the Caribbean football and, and world football. You know, mm-hmm. So sometimes it's a little bit unfair uh, when we, we, we look at the Caribbean in the way we do because you know, people here do want help as well. And uh, the, the people with authority, be it uh, Blatter, be it, Beckenbauer, be it Platini, and they are very happy for the Caribbean to stay just the way it is. Yeah. I, now that Warner is gone, there seems to be a lot of turmoil inside the TTFA, the federation here. Yes. Uh, there's an election coming up later this month for the new president. I saw that the executive committee for the federation came out against the current president. Yes. Um, what's happening with all this? Well, um, first of all, like I said, uh, we're still struggling because of what, what Warner left behind. And the reality is that, that some of the people still involved in football were the people who were there before. Um, President Raymond Tim Key, for instance, likes to paint himself as, as the new broom. Uh, in fact, he was the uh, vice president for over a decade under Warner. Warner brought him into football. And in fact, he had the specific responsibility of finances mm. during Warner's too. Nice. You know? So it, to me, is always absurd when he tries to pass himself off as an anti-Warner guy because Warner fired him you know, in 2010. You know? And it, it, it's ridiculous. Um, there's rumor that at least one other candidate in the race is um, a pro-Warner candidate. It isn't that Warner cares about football at all, because he doesn't. He's, he's never involved. Mm. But, um, yeah, still a lot of skeletons in the closet within the last, uh, you know, decade or so. 
um, that could lead to some serious financial, you know, if legal action was taken, okay. you know, and for that reason, I think that that Warner and and people who were involved at that time still want to ensure that they have control so that no one goes digging, which I suppose would be the same thing like Seb Blatter at FIFA. Now, how do we see the current men's national team for Trinidad and Tobago and the women's national team, which is also playing right now, trying yes. to qualify for the Olympics? And how do we see this impact of the federation in turmoil and struggling with finances yeah. with the teams themselves? It's, uh, it's, it's crippling the teams. It, it's a miracle that they're doing as well as they are. Um, I'm sure Coach uh, Stephen Hart probably hasn't been paid in, in months. Um, you know, they just mainly get uh, match fees now. They, no salaries at all wow. for the staff. And even then, they still owed some match fees. And with the women team, it's, it's even worse. You know, it, it's a very, very tough situation. And uh, some people are minded that the whole football body should simply be shut down and should mm. be left to die and go bankrupt and start again. Wow. But whenever you think about doing that, you look at the players who would, of course, miss a cycle. You know, and, and obviously with the, the, the Soka Warriors are doing so well now. And who would have the heart, you know, to let the, the football simply die at the moment, you know, so that we could uh, clean, clean out, so to speak. And, and, and that's the funny thing when you try to support your team, but the administrators who are kind of hanging on by the coattails and, and you, you would like to get rid of them. It's pretty incredible. Uh, you know, I, I can only imagine what the players are, are dealing with here. I saw that the women's team, which is currently playing, the American coach, Randy Waldrum, isn't here yes. coaching them. And the captain and another star player uh, are refusing to play. Yes. And um, I've actually gotten some uh, more messages today from some players who are currently on the team as well. So um, I guess maybe the later this evening when I get a chance to speak to them, I'd probably hear some more. You know, there are a lot of problems, um, part financial, but it's only ever part, you know. The, the main problem is always uh, respect. You know, anything that are being treated right by administrators and that sort of thing. And that's that's always the biggest issue, even bigger than, than financial. And that's a problem right now. Okay. I was in the Hyatt the other day uh, in town. I can say this now because the U.S. team is gone. The U.S. team was staying there. That's why uh, I was at the Hyatt. And that was known as the hotel where all of the, the cash transactions yes. took place the back ben in Amaru. 2011 that led to uh, Ben Hamam and Warner being pushed out of FIFA. So it's yes. kind of a famous place in, in FIFA corruption history. Yes. Um, like, I, I guess one question I've got is you look at CONCACAF over the years, Jack Warner and Chuck Blazer, an American, yes. uh, ran CONCACAF for more than 20 years, um, uh, committed a lot of improper behavior, uh, made millions and millions of dollars off of that improper behavior. Uh, are you surprised that the U.S. Soccer Federation didn't do more uh, to, to try and push CONCACAF during that time to clean up and, and didn't do more to try and, and increase scrutiny on Jack Warner and Chuck Blazer? I thought you were going to ask me if I was surprised that the, the U.S. Soccer Federation officials weren't indicted yet. <laughs> <laughs> um. Like I said, there are a lot of people who are able to maneuver uh, and actually uh, profit from the system as, as tainted and as bad as it was. And uh, I think if you look at any CONCACAF official of any stature during that period, and you're looking at somebody who has found a way to, to survive and to get by with a, a, a tainted system, you know, and I think there'll be question marks over over any of them, to be honest, you know. Um, obviously, the U.S. Soccer Federation uh, didn't do enough, and we're not talking about um, high-level corporate fraud here at all, you know. This is closer to, to Pink Panther than, than some, uh, you know, high-tech jewel thief or so, right? And, and I think anybody who sat in those offices, anybody who had uh, copies of the annual audits or anything like that, you know, should have been duty-bound, you know, to say something, to speak up, to, to get... Uh, you know, investigative, you know, get the authorities involved, and obviously they didn't. Um, Jack Warner actually became a pretty well-known figure in the United States in, in a bigger sense mm -hmm. uh, after the, the arrests in May because a comedian, John Oliver, has an right. HBO show, 
And Oliver started doing these video pieces about FIFA corruption and then focused on Jack Warner. Yes, yes. And then they got into a personal back and forth where Oliver bought time on a Hello. Trinidad television channel yes. uh, to send a message, a video to, to Jack. Our website actually did a spoof on that, which is pretty funny. If you, <laughs> if you search, yeah. I, what, what did you make of all of this? Um, well, I, I follow John Oliver and, and the Bugle. Yeah. For a while, actually, you know, I know Oliver is a, is a, a football fan, mm. you know, so it, it was good. It was funny. I remember um, there's another talk show host who did something that was pretty hard hitting as well. Is is mm. MSNBC or something? His yeah. name slips me right now. You know. Okay. Um, I think it's always good when um you, you bring awareness to these uh, people and these topics, and you take it into sometimes a different audience. And uh, I think actually comedy and satire, I think is always a, a very good way of dealing with it, you know, because these people sometimes they are so, they're so arrogant, um, you know, they don't mind being despised, but sometimes it's harder for them, you know, to, to live with being laughed at, yeah. you know, so I definitely um, uh, applauded. I, I looked on when Oliver did his, his set. I thought he was pretty um, tame at first, actually, to be honest, <laughs> but um, no, I, I, I supported the show. So, my, in my sense, I think Trinidad and Tobago might be the only Caribbean country to advance to the hexagonal. We, all, we have a lot of games left yes. to play here, but they're favorites to emerge with the U.S. from this semifinal group. They won at Guatemala mm -hmm. already. Um, and I think you look at, at Jamaica and Haiti, uh, you know, they could have a hard time. Uh, St. Vincent already having a hard time. Yeah. So, uh, so, in a sense things aren't looking on the field like it's a, uh, a, a bad prospect for Trinidad. Is yeah. it possible for sort of the organization to get itself together enough that Trinidad might have a chance to qualify for the World Cup? Uh, it's possible. I suppose in theory, anything is, is possible. Uh, right now, there, there's no program in place. As in, um, Stephen Hart probably has no idea what's going to happen after tonight. Yeah. Right? Whereas the U.S. soccer would know what games they have up until maybe 2017 or something, yeah. right? Um, but yes, there's an election coming up um, around this time. Sometimes corporate Trinidad, you know, wakes up a bit and, and, and loosens the, the, loosen the purse strings and maybe some money will come in. Um, it's not certainly not one of the most gifted Trinidad teams and what we would consider football here, as you, you might... If you've seen us over the years, you'd know that we, we tend to prefer the clever, artistic type players like, you know, your Russell Latapies and, and Arnold Dwarikas and Dwight Yorks and so on, and David Nacked. Mm -hmm. And uh, there aren't many subtle players in the team right now. But uh, people are definitely warming to the, um, the attitude of the team, you know, um, the, 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 the passion and the things that they've, the way they've fought when they're down type thing. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's, it's a possibility. Yeah, it certainly is. And also, CONCACAF doesn't seem especially strong right now, to be honest. So I, it, it may be a very good time for an underdog to, to kick up. There's two names I wanted to ask you about. You just mentioned one of them. David Nakid was running for FIFA president due to the FIFA committee reviewing the, the nominations. He was not allowed in because yes. they said the U.S. Virgin Islands had nominated somebody else. Right. Um. And then another name is Brent Sancho, who used to play in MLS. Yes. Uh, who uh, is the Minister of Sport. Was the Minister of Sport. Was the Minister yes. of Sport. See, so much change here. <laughs> uh, what do you think of these two guys and the, as people start to look for new leaders in Trinidad soccer? Um, well, in terms of David Nakir, he's always a, a very bright guy, outspoken guy. Always capable of saying something that will just make it jaw drop. And uh, when he told me he was going to run for FIFA president, you know, my jaw did drop. I thought he was nuts at first, <laughs> you know. Although when I, when I thought about it, you know, what a great story it, it would be, you know. Yeah. I wouldn't say he may be the, the, the best person to run a billion-dollar company, you know. But when you look at the list of people going up, and if you're saying you want, uh, you want change, you want somebody who cares about football and somebody who is bright and, and, and new, well, he, he ticks all the, the boxes, so to speak. So I know he has an appeal in with Kaz. He, he appealed recently. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting. I, I, I can't say much right now about you know the what he's gonna raise, but um, it it will be interesting and it it will come out eventually. 
where he thinks that there are flaws in, in the system, so to speak. Mm. Um, so I'm not sure how that would happen for him. I do hope that he stays involved in football admi- at an administrative level, and mm. he tries, because um, I think he could, um, you know, there's no reason why he shouldn't do well, let's mm-hmm. say, uh, in terms of, of Brent Sancho. Um, I'm not I'm not as convinced about Sancho, okay. let's say, you know. Um, within the last year, I think uh, as he rose to you know, the minister's sport position and it uh, it meant a little bit more digging into the stuff that he's into mm-hmm. and, and there were a lot of question marks. You know, there was one email, for instance, where his advisor uh, and um, his operations director at Central FC had uh, asked for a payment to be sent by Western Union while they were discussing a transfer that was taking place. Mm-hmm. I think it's been investigated right now. And it's just one of, of, of several things, you know. So it, it, it's pretty sad. But uh, I think his his uh, baggage right now, I certainly wouldn't recommend him. And he's no longer the Minister of Sport. He's no longer the Minister of Sport, no. That, but the government has changed uh, in September 7th. So really, okay. his, his party, which certainly didn't have a good record as far as corruption or transparency went, mm-hmm. and they were voted out of office. And Jack Warner had been part of the government as well, Jack right? Warner was part of that uh, same party, actually, okay. yes. So, so he's no longer in a position of political power here. No, he he had a split before. Um, this came, I believe, in was it twenty twelve or twenty? I think it was twenty twelve when mm-hmm. Jack Warner left uh, office, or was it twenty thirteen? Probably twenty thirteen, actually. Okay. And uh, he split from the government. Then he formed his own political party. Didn't do very well. And um, you know, as far as politics go, he's a he's a husband now. Okay. Um. I actually got Jack Warner's cell number and email address before this trip, and I, yes. I communicated with him. I didn't communicate. I communicated at him. He didn't yes. respond to me, yeah. which was sort of disappointing, but not unexpected. Yeah. Does he? Do you see him around anywhere? Does he like show up at public events? Uh, he, he doesn't. Um, he doesn't have the same circles as myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, Warner can't stare to the public eye for too long. Yeah. You know, he isn't very relevant anymore. Yeah, but uh, he'd be sure to put in an appearance somewhere, where he could, you know, uh, look like he's happy and and everything's okay, and and where he knew people may pat him, pat him on his back or something like mm-hmm. that. But otherwise, he keeps a pretty low profile. Does he live pretty well? Um, I'm sure he does. Yeah. Uh, in, in fact, he's never really been an ostentatious person. Huh. You know, his sons will, you yeah. know, but he would be someone that would have a a nice but. You know, non-flashy car. Everything about him wouldn't speak to immense wealth, which was actually one of the reasons why he was uh, fairly popular among, um, you know, some people, let's say, or he did have some support. And uh, remember, um, as much information as I might give or other people would give, and Warner would say the exact opposite. He's an excellent salesman. And uh, some people would go with the information they get from Warner, I guess. Hmm. Interesting. His two sons uh, basically turned him in uh, yeah. with the U.S. government. Yes. Uh, they wh- what happened? Because it seemed like they were in Miami for a while. They got detained, and, and then they had pled guilty in yes. the indictment that was released, mm-hmm. assuming that they provide information against their father. What, what, what's the story there? My assumption would be that the decision then they they had his two sons would be that they would do exactly what they did and, and, and pass information on and Jack will essentially stay right here in Trinidad and, and try to keep himself safe. Hmm. You know, so I, I would, my guess would be that, that Warner would have been a part, Jack would have been a part of that discussion when they decided, hmm. you know, to turn him in, to be honest. Interesting. Yeah. Well, the whole thing is fascinating. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk, Lasana LeBird. Sure. No problem. Both Columbus and Portland fans showed up in full voice for their teams, inspiring two goal victories for both the crew and the Timbers in the MLS playoffs. Now, New York and Dallas fans, it's your turn to be the 12th man. When you head to the stadium, use the SeatGeek app to find the best deal on your ticket. Now, when you use our code PLANET in the SeatGeek app, you get a check back for $20. Here's how it works. You download the SeatGeek app on your iPhone or Android. It's free and takes less than a minute to download. Then, you search for your event, find a great deal, enter our code PLANET, and when you complete your purchase, SeatGeek will send a $20 check to your house. SeatGeek pulls in ticket options from hundreds of sellers online and shows you the best deals automatically. 
When you shop on SeatGeek, you're seeing virtually every ticket available for your event all on one page. They rank every available ticket with a deal score and show you a color-coded map that's easy to read. Finally, SeatGeek's mobile app makes the ticket buying process seamless, easy, and safe. Store your credit card, and when you find a ticket you want to buy, make the purchase with two quick taps of your phone. There's no faster way to buy tickets. So, to redeem your promo code and get your $20 check, download the free SeatGeek app today, enter promo code PLANET in the app, and SeatGeek will then send you $20 once you've made your first SeatGeek purchase. For the NFL, college football, MLS playoffs, or even the best concerts, use the SeatGeek app, and don't forget to enter our code PLANET. It's Thanksgiving week, and we'd be remiss if we didn't thank you, the listeners. Time is the greatest gift you can give to a podcaster, so thanks for taking us on your run, your commute, or maybe in the car. Uh, we'd love to hear what you think of our show, and you can get in touch with us on Twitter and let us know. Uh, you can tweet at us at SI underscore soccer, at Grant Wall, at Avi Creditor, at Brian Strauss, or at AN Abnos. You can hear the whole SI network at SI.com slash podcast. Happy Thanksgiving and travel safe. Okay, welcome back, and and that actually transitions perfectly into what we're going to talk about next, and that's Thanksgiving. It's it's time to be thankful. It's time to think of things that we're grateful for um, on this planet. Obviously, we we can keep things in the scope of soccer, but before we get uh, to the important stuff, Brian, let's let's start with you on this. Turkey or sides? What's uh, what's your go to for Thanksgiving? All right, this is embarrassing, but um, so every year I. I remind my mom, this is very important, that I need one can of like the jellied canned cranberry sauce. So no matter how gourmet the meal is, whether we're going to someone's house or, or having it at home, I need a can of, of I don't know, it's like Dole or Ocean Spray or whatever, <laughs> canned cranberry sauce. And I want it on a plate, like jiggling, at, like so you can see the ridges of the can. And, and I just want that in the middle of the table. And I love it, and it makes me very happy. And it's gross, and and you know, like something out of a, a horror movie. But uh, I love the jelly cranberry sauce shaped like the can. <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> that's that's my go-to. I love it, Grant. What about you? So we had to host Thanksgiving for a couple of years. We aren't this year, thank God. And um, so I'm kind of lazy. I like cooking, but I didn't do turkey. I actually did Thanksgiving lobsters. Ooh. Uh, which, you know, there's actually, if you, there's a story about this in the New Yorker at one point, there's a glut of lobsters on the world market lately. And so the price of, of whole lobsters has gone down. So, uh, I made, uh, lobsters Pro uh, tip. and, uh, and they were very good if a little messy. Okay. Well, messy. Hmm. It's a good transition. I'm thankful that we get to watch Lionel Messi, uh, and Cristiano Ronaldo, we are in a golden era uh, of of some of the best individual soccer players of all time. Let's not take that for granted. Uh, let's let's get into some things that we're more thankful for uh, in the world of soccer. Brian, uh, what 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 are you thankful for? Uh, hmm. I am thankful for Loretta Lynch uh, and the fact that it looks like uh, we may be close to taking taking our sport back uh, from the mafia that's been running it. Um, I'm thankful that uh, there are a lot more soccer scarves to buy now. It's like every time you go to a game, there's a there's a match scarf, and I, I love that. Um, I'm thankful for the people on Twitter that make gifs of goals like right away, because um, it's it's massive when you're in a press box and you're you know you're really far away, and uh, you know you get one replay, and all of a sudden you can go back and look at the gif. Um, it's also great on a Saturday morning, you know, when you're watching games in Europe and people are sort of pumping these highlights out on Twitter. I love that. Um, I'm thankful that DC United continues to make progress on a stadium. Um, I am impartial in terms of results for my hometown club, but, but, uh, I am not impartial about what a, what a, what a stadium would do, uh, for soccer in my city. Um, and so that's important to me and, and, uh, I'm, I'm thankful for that. Um, and I'm thankful that I, that my job allows me to talk to, 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 to really interesting people. I mean, I just did a story on Ethan Finley and, you know, spent time on the phone with him and, and, um, you know, just to hear his story and hear how these guys, you know, manage all those forks in the road uh, to, to, to make their dreams come true. Um, and I get to have two or three of those conversations a week. And, and it really is the best thing about my job. And I'm thankful for that. That's a, that's a solid list. That's great. Uh, Grant, what, uh, what about you? 
I'm going to stick to one thing and just say I'm thankful for the time life building. Uh, this podcast is recorded every week uh, in the Time Life building at 50th and 6th, where Sports Illustrated and all the Time Inc. titles have been for more than 50 years. Uh, we are moving uh, to a new building uh, on right next to the new World Trade Center downtown in New York. And there's a lot of memories right now in the halls uh, of just amazing photographs and things being taken down off the walls, some of them being moved to the new building, but a lot of it, honestly, either being donated or thrown away. And it's kind of crazy. I've got all this stuff in my office, frame covers of Mario Balotelli and um, Landon Donovan and Clint Mathis, uh, all sorts of other things. I had uh, Chris Hunt, another an editor at Sports Illustrated, gave me one of his framed photos of Zinedine Zidane and Fabio Cannavaro from the World Cup final in 2006. And I actually was trying to go into the office and prune my my stuff, not add to it, and couldn't help but add to it. Uh, Mark Moravic, an editor uh, who used to be the soccer editor at Sports Illustrated, has this gigantic banner, uh, street banner from a you know a, a light post from World Cup '94 that he pulled out, and uh, just an amazing amount of stuff. Obviously, not just soccer stuff, but stuff from Sports Illustrated over the more than 60 years that we've been around. So. Uh, you know, big historical change going on right now at Sports Illustrated, and uh, I'm going to miss uh, the Time Life Building. Had a lot of memories there. Started there in, in 1996, and uh, you know, we're all making the move. I guess change is good. What's hilarious is that I'm pretty much going to contradict you and say I'm thankful for the new podcast studio that we're going to get <laughs> at our new building because if you don't know. We basically do this in a glorified storage closet every week. <laughs> um, so I'm very isn't much... That, isn't there that deflated, right right in the entrance to the 32nd floor, isn't there that, that glass case? And I think in the back of that glass case, there's like an old deflated soccer ball signed by Kobe <laughs> Jones and Alexi Lawless. Yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So make, sure, make sure one of you rescues that. Yeah. I actually think that already got cleared out. I don't even know where to, that is. I'll, I'll try and track it down. Uh, but definitely looking forward to to our new space and our new, I mean, look, the, the new studio will, will help us do some some more great things on this podcast. We're obviously continuously grateful for all of you for for listening to it. Uh, and I'm thankful for, for guys like Brian and Grant and, and my man Alex Abnos over here. You guys, you guys help us put on a, a great show. Um, and, and with that, I think we'll, we'll wish you all a very happy Thanksgiving. I uh, hope you have a, a good time. Whatever you're doing, and uh, we will come back next week with another edition of the Planet Football Podcast. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network? Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.